Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. And we are on Seller Roundtable number 43. And we are super excited to have Jim Kenimer here with us. Jim, welcome and thanks for coming on. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yes, it's so much fun having Jim here. I met yeah. Jim in um, Hong Kong at Global Sources yeah. Summit. Jim gave a presentation about sourcing from Vietnam and I was like mesmerized by it. It was so cool because Vietnam is one of those countries that we've all heard is pretty good to source from, but we don't really mm -hmm. know that much about it. And so Jim, yeah. I got to talk to him a little bit um, during the networking um, sessions as well. And it was so cool. Just first of all, Jim, what impressed me about your presentation was that you were explaining the hard things about sourcing from yeah. Vietnam as well as some beneficial things so that people were well informed. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm selling my services as a sourcing agent. You really informed us and helped us understand. Mm -hmm. So I felt compelled to, um, to ask you here on our podcast. So Great. Jim, please tell our users a little bit about yourself and, um, and yeah, we'll get into your presentation today. Yeah, so my name is Jim Kinnamer. I'm the founder and managing director of Cosmos Sourcing. Um, we were founded in 2013 in Shanghai, China, and then 2014, we decided to uh, move to Vietnam. I personally moved to Vietnam for a year and decided to tackle Vietnam sourcing. I really kind of felt that Vietnam was the next big thing after China. It was kind of underserved. There was a lot of interest from a lot of my contacts, so I decided to make the plunge then and kind of been sticking around with it. And since the trade war has happened, it's been booming. So I kind of been having to be in the right place at the right time and just kind of been enjoying riding the wave. Yeah, I was just about to say, yeah, that, uh, that, that you were at the, at the right place at the right time on that one. Uh, nice work oh, absolutely. there. Yeah. It was a little bit early to the party, but yeah, once it started picking up, it was quite nice. Yeah. I originally moved to Vietnam in 2014 to take advantage of a trans-Pacific partnership, but, um, that ended up getting canceled, but I kind of like the Vietnam had a few exciting projects there and stick around and ended up paying off in the long run. So it ended up being a worthwhile endeavor. Definitely. I, like I said earlier, it's just so interesting to, um, to hear yeah. about sourcing from the different countries because every single country is different. And, oh, you know, know, you just think, <laughs> oh, well, I know how to source from China. Well, great. I can just source from anywhere. And it's, it's not that easy. So we're excited to hear about all of the ins and outs of Vietnam today. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, it is totally different. Like I've looked at sourcing in Thailand, Indonesia, and just the whole culture is between country and country. It's really unique and kind of just need to commit to a country, really figure out the ins and outs and get to know it before you can actually be successful sourcing from a country. And Jim, didn't you, didn't you source from, haven't you been in other countries as well? Haven't you sourced from other countries before you went to Vietnam? Um, yeah, not on a large scale and not like professionally, but we have had a few small projects in Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, and a handful of others, but those were really tricky and kind of small projects. And just with the way that Vietnam was set up, I kind of just kind of picked Vietnam. Like I said, you really have to figure out a country to get it, be successful, which takes a lot of time commitment, a lot of understanding the culture. 
I think it's so interesting that you and your wife moved to Vietnam and just like went for this. Like so many people don't (laughs) even think to, that seems so unreachable. And so I I thought so cool hearing your story about how you guys were just like, yeah, we're just going to go to Vietnam and figure this out. (laughs) Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I was living in China for two years before that. And I kind of got burned out by China. So for me, it was just kind of a new adventure and kind of, I've always been an adventurous person. Like me and my wife are both digital nomads. So we've effectively been traveling full-time for about seven years now. We got to do a whole other podcast just about that. (laughs) That would be great. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so yeah, we've kind of covered some ground. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, no, that's a fun life. But yeah, we're at kind of at the point where we're talking about selling down and buying a house next year. But we'll probably still travel at least several months a year just haven't had home base and it's kind of <laughs> it's nice to you. have that as well yeah I know. traveling for a little while well uh would you like to share your screen and we'll get started yeah sounds good let me go ahead and do that here you go yeah so i'm going to go and pull up some slides how does this actually looking on the screen um i see the thank you slide right now okay yeah i should probably go at the beginning Perfect. <laughs> we're just gonna skip right to the end everyone yeah, we're done show's <laughs> over y'all missed it <laughs> all right and play from start great all right so everything's coming good yeah it looks hey, everybody. great so yeah so like i said today our topic is going to be sourcing from vietnam i kind of want to go over how to find manufacturers and kind of more strategies when the trade war since holding tariffs is the best way to not pay tariffs so a little bit myself kind of introduced earlier. Um, I am the manager director of Cosmos Sourcing. Um, we first started in China in 2012. I originally actually started sourcing outdoor products. After getting some interest from people, I decided to source full time instead of actually sell my own products. So I decided to just start sourcing for pretty much anything, anybody that wanted anything. And then in 2014, I moved to Vietnam to focus on Vietnam sourcing. I really kind of on a new challenge, new opportunity. China was oversaturated with sourcing agents at the time. Vietnam was pretty untapped, so that's kind of my motivation. So today we're going to cover a few things, China versus Vietnam. Um, kind of think a lot of your client or your uh, viewers kind of understand China to at least some degree. So we're just kind of start with there as a base and kind of compare it to Vietnam. Should you source from Vietnam? Not everybody should, but maybe you should. And resources find suppliers in Vietnam. So I think the big thing is currently there are $550 billion worth of goods imported from China and the United States that are affected by tariffs. Um, This number is kind of going up and with the way the trade war and the talks have been going, nothing's really seeming to go away. So this is kind of a big deal for pretty much over 80% of all goods shipped from China is being affected by tariffs, which is pretty drastic. So a little bit about trade war. I'm kind of Kind of just want to cover trade war briefly just kind of cover both sides since i'm pretty unique we have we source from both china and vietnam so i've seen both sides of the trade war um even though when the first tariffs were first announced in june last year we didn't really see that much interest in it but really around september of last year in the 10 percent of 200 billion we actually really started to see a real uptick in uh demand for vietnam sourcing um and after that the 25 billion in may Actually, May of this year, I should say May 2019, not 18. That's a mistake. Um, to change that. That's really when I started to see a huge shift in interest. Um, when those ter- set of tariffs were announced, that's 
um, overnight, we probably saw our increase of demand increase about 10 times. I was actually in China at the time of that was happening. I was planning on spending all of May at that point and then go to Vietnam sometime in June. But ended up cutting my China trip short and actually flew down to Vietnam almost immediately as soon as those tariffs were announced just to focus on Vietnam and spent pretty much since then in Vietnam. I'm actually home for the holidays for the record in Wisconsin. Also, the United States, big thing is the tariffs, but actually for a lot of your European sellers, I don't know how many European-based viewers you have, but there's actually currently a free trade agreement being negotiated between EU and Vietnam that will eliminate 99% of tariffs between the two. Um, the two sides have actually agreed on draft work, although they haven't been signed yet, but they are expecting this to be signed into law by both countries or, or union, European Union, uh, sometime next year. So this is actually going to be a huge deal for Vietnam. And if you're in Europe, you're going to have to see a significant reduction in tariffs. So it's going to be very beneficial for that. Also, China versus Vietnam. I know like people think of Vietnam as an easy replacement. It's not. I think one of the big things is for the population, Vietnam only has 93 million versus 1.3 billion in China. So it's about 1 15th the size of China. Also GDP significantly smaller, but actually GDP growth rates quite higher. Vietnam's actually growing faster than Vietnam. Uh, Vietnam's growing faster than China. In fact, Vietnam right now is the third fastest growing country in the world period of any size. And the only two ahead of it are like Luxembourg and Liechtenstein or something. So it's quite significant. Also, another one is export per capita. I think this is a big one. Vietnam actually exports about $2,200 worth of goods per person versus just $1,600 for China. So actually, the economy is actually better set up um, for exports in China, which a lot of people might find surprising. Also, one little case study. Um, I just want to kind of briefly, we were working earlier this summer with a large packaging company in the United States. They handle about $30 million a year in cardboard packaging. Um, one of the things they, they've just always sourced from China for, and just never really consider going elsewhere. But after the tariffs, they actually decided to look beyond China, kind of see what their options were. And we actually ended up finding them a supplier in Vietnam that was cheaper than their Chinese supplier before tariffs. And they had very specific demands of what they needed from a factory. Um, they were using very exact German machinery that had that they had a, all their designers trained on the programming. It was very custom, like three flexographic printing and kind of elaborate full color printing that they needed. So they were actually looking specifically for factories in Vietnam that had this machinery and we ended up finding them. And they ended up saving quite a significant amount. It was after, without tariffs being factored in, they were actually saving 10% sourcing from Vietnam. So you can actually get cheaper. We also do a lot of flat pack furniture from Vietnam as well. I've been doing that since before the tariffs as well. So just generally, there are three ways to kind of view Vietnam sourcing that we've noticed. Uh, Vietnam as a primary source destination. For a lot of smaller sellers, this is actually becoming a new big thing. Um, this is actually the first time we noticed that people coming, just bypassing China completely and going straight to Vietnam really in last year since the trade war started. Vietnam as a backup destination, I would say over half our clients currently source from China and are just kind of want to see what they can get in Vietnam. And then for a lot of our newer ones, we do a lot of Vietnam and China dual sourcing. So a lot of our clients don't know if it's cheaper to buy from China or Vietnam, or even if they can get quality in Vietnam or whatever. So we we'll actually can look at both Vietnam and China together, um, compare rates from both countries and kind of figure out which one is best for them and their product. 
factor in tariffs, cost, shipping, lead time, et cetera. And so common mistakes, yeah, you said, um, I kind of want to cover the hard things. I think the most popular one is thinking Vietnam is the same as China and it's not at all. Um, I mean, a lot of it's kind of similar, but people just kind of have this idea of how they've been doing business in China and try to do exactly the same thing in Vietnam. Um, and it's really the whole behavior of how the, the factories kind of expect to do business is different. The business culture is different. The, so it's kind of, and actually how he finds suppliers, how he kind of contact them, bid quotes is actually a little bit different. So it takes a lot of tweaking. It's something we really had to figure out how to do. Because when we first started, we did just kind of went in exactly how we thought we did for China. Um, and for China, we get a response rate about 50% when we message factories, because we do it in bulk, like under factories, whatever. With Vietnam, we first started, we were getting about 10% response rate, which was insanely low. So we really had to figure out hire Vietnamese staff and figure out really how to contact them, um, how to communicate with, with them and really kind of figure that out to really get a higher response rate. Um, another one is expecting Vietnam to be able to perfectly clone their Chinese made products. Um, we work with a lot of FBA sellers. A lot of people just do private label. They contact a factory. A factory already has a product that they've made off the shelf and they just slap a new logo on it. And so they just expect the factory in Vietnam to do pretty much exactly that with their exact same product. Um, and it's not the case at all in Vietnam. But for some sellers, even though we do have a product that they bought off the shelf, like private label from China, we can work with designers to actually create a product spec sheet and actually have them recreate it that way. But it's not exact. It's going to be slightly different because of different materials they have access, et cetera. And so you kind of Jim, need to understand that there's going to be a little bit of change. Your question. Real quick, I, I just wanted to mention to, to people, and uh, one thing about, it sounds like initially like that would be a downfall, right? Like you got to yeah. go through extra work and things like that. But mm -hmm. what people need to realize is if if you uh, go through the extra step of either reverse engineering, uh, you know, a private label product that's already there that you can improve on yeah, um, and actually oh, you know, get the molds and do all those things, you're going to be better off in the long run because mm -hmm. um, then you can technically move the manufacturing, you know, anywhere. Um, so yeah. even though it's a few extra steps, uh, you're kind of uh, owning the uh, funnel there in terms of manufacturing a lot more. Yeah, no, yeah, that's totally true. Um, yeah, because we have several clients that they do that and they don't have any design files, anything at all. And so when we actually create design files, because for Vietnam, we really have to hire a lot of outside designers to do exactly that, create design files. But when we're doing that process of talking to the Vietnamese manufacturers and the designers and the client, um, we actually can talk to the Vietnamese supplier, figure out what they're capable of. And oftentimes they can do different customizations. We did something not too long ago. It was just a zipper, but it was just a rubber flap over the zipper that made it water resistant. And that was something that they could just add to the product that we kind of learned and, and we ended up incorporating that into the product. Awesome. So there's yeah, definitely small things like that, that. And actually owning your molds is huge. Like, and people don't realize like, when you're buying from China from private label, there's 15, 20, 30 other Amazon buyers who are buying the exact same product. And the only thing different is maybe the color in your logo. Um, once you actually own the molds, you can tweak it as needed and create actually your own product. And so, I mean, you yeah, gotta absolutely. be able to willing to commit to that and upgrade, but it isn't, it is a few extra steps. It does make it harder. It does make lead time longer. Uh, a lot of clients, um, aren't willing to commit to that. So this, 
as soon as they learn that, they're like, yeah, nah, too much work. We're done. <laughs> and yeah. And uh, yeah, any other thing you want to add to that? Because I do think that is kind of a big point that a lot of Sorry, I, I just, yeah, I just wanted to chime in there because that's, uh, you know, what, what was going through my head uh, when I started seeing this, because I know that like, uh, you know, I looked into doing some manufacturing here in the U.S. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, it was a completely different experience where, you know, I went into the factory with one of my, my current products from China and they're like, yeah, yeah, where's your CAD file? Where's, you know, like all this extra stuff that I'd never had to deal with before. Mm -hmm. uh, this was a few years ago. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's just a yeah. different completely different game but in the end um you know it, it could be a huge benefit yeah no i totally agree and yeah we a lot of clients are totally fine with that they understand they and we do that with them and a lot of them as soon as they learn that they get turned off and realize it's extra work and just don't go with it and we actually get another two where a lot of clients will just find a product and then just ship it to it and then we work with a either a designer or vietnamese factory to just literally take it apart reverse engineer it and so that's pretty common. Like we got a tailgate protector thing, toolkit protector that were just, you just sent the product factories, just literally took it apart, made the files and just literally reverse engineering it. So awesome. you can do it that cool. way too. It's cool that there, there are some factories doing some of that turnkey kind of uh, stuff. Yeah. So that, that's awesome. Yeah. All yeah, right, but... continue. <laughs> sorry, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then another one's not understanding the culture. Um, I kind of talk about this later too in the slide, but the whole idea of Guangxi in China, like the way relationships are, is very formal, very stylized. I think a lot of people are turned off by Vietnam by how casual they are. Um, so they often interpret the casualness of the relationship as not interested, which isn't the case. They are totally interested. It's just, it's more relaxed and less structured relationship. I like it, but a lot of people are kind of turned off. Like we have a lot of clients who are just expecting to get wine to die and get to know the factory and just visit the factory and just straight to business and they just they just, they just interpret it as not wanting the business and i'm like no they do want your business they just how they work and th i mean once you actually start talking to them they form the business relationship later but it's not at the forefront so we have this is something that kind of a lot of people don't understand so the question is should you move your manufacturing to vietnam um yeah, we have a few questions that you need to ask yourself first. Will your product be cheaper with or without tariffs? I think this really depends on your interpretation of how long the trade war is going to last, if it's permanent or not. And honestly, as this trade war goes on, I think it's pretty much permanent. No one's really seem interested, at least on the American side, to end it. So um, you kind of need to figure out that, because if you do actually buy from Vietnam and it's cheaper with tariffs, but without tariffs, you're going to be, end up suck paying more, assuming the tariffs will go away. Another one is, will it be the same or better quality in Vietnam? Um, that's not to say it's going to be worse in Vietnam or better in Vietnam. Vietnam has its core competencies and some things and some things they don't. And so you need to kind of figure out which they can and can't do and make sure that is something you're acceptable with. And a lot of times too, when we said people buy from China, we do have to change the materials and quality. We were doing one with artificial leather and we just could not source the artificial leather pattern they had in Vietnam without actually exporting from China, which ended up canceling all the costs. So we ended up having like change a couple of designs. So for them, it was the same quality, but it's just different design. And so it's kind of something they need to kind of understand. Um, is lead time important? Uh, Vietnam is a little bit slower than China, not drastically so, maybe 25%. But 
but it can be kind of important, especially when it comes to crunch times like Christmas, when you're like placing your orders in like September and really need it at this window. Hey, Jim, I have a question about that. So why are the lead times uh, longer in Vietnam? Okay, um, it's main, one main thing with initial runs too. Okay, why is this? One second. Um, one thing with Vietnam is a lot of components need to be shipped from China into Vietnam. So the, like for instance, zippers, handles um, on furniture, latches, um, a bunch of that type of stuff needs to be shipped in from China. So you need to factor in the shipping time, which is port, um, kind of important. Overall, the, I wanna say they're less efficient, but they do move slower too, just in the factories. And then the big one is actually the infrastructure, getting things shipped from Vietnam. Um, the roads are more congested. There's not like these huge ports. The ports are very congested. So you're going to add an extra week at least just getting the thing, uh, getting the item, the container from the factory to the port. It's just going to be sitting there for some reason. Um, and so it just takes more time. China right. is just so hyper competitive too. And so like factories really got to trip over each other, get business in Vietnam. There's, I mean, there's tons of factories in Vietnam, but there's not millions, there's thousands when there's millions in China. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, as you mentioned, if you're, mm -hmm. if your product is cheaper and the quality as just as good, well, then that can really be something great um, for, yeah. for that purpose. Right. So I, I think it's, it's, it's good to be informed about these things yeah. about, Hey, is this going to take longer, but, um, I'm saving this much and over time, the other thing mm -hmm. that, um, I would be concerned with, uh, in Vietnam is, you know, we help, um, we help companies expand into retail stores and yeah. sometimes, um, you know, you have to, the factories, when you're getting into bigger channels beyond Amazon, Sometimes mm -hmm. um, the factories need certain certifications. And yeah. I know that like, there's big companies like Nike and stuff sourcing from Vietnam. So I know factories can do that. But mm -hmm. also when it's time to really fill some container loads up and get moving, you could lose a big deal as you're growing because of poor lead times. Yeah. Um, no, so you I really have true. to have like your, your infrastructure figured out. But if you're just starting out, there's nothing wrong with, Hey, let's save mm -hmm. some money. Let's get it done. Um, so yeah, I, I think yeah. that is really good. And I wonder how companies like Nike and, um, some of the bigger brands that are, um, that are doing this, I guess they're just able to maybe carry more inventory, um, or, you yeah. know, maybe those factories are I mean, really solely dedicated in, but... to them. Because, I mean, you know, when you place the order, how long it's going to take. So when you're actually figuring out your supply chain, you're anticipating that time. And so, I mean, that's something we negotiate in contracts is anticipate lead times. Right. And so they can understand that. But yeah, also you talked about certification and that's actually, I don't, actually don't mention in the slides, but that is a good question. We, it is a little bit of a challenge to get certification. We've done products that end up in Home Depot, Lowe's and Target, some big box retailers like that. And they, yeah, they need very certain things like we did some electrical components that needed UL certification. Um, and we found some factories that did it and we found some factories that would do a great job with the product. They had everything in place and competent, but they just weren't even willing to submit to UL certification because it's just this huge audit process for them and takes tons of time and money. And a lot of places, they put the onus on the factory to do it. With the big retailers like Nike, I'm sure they're willing to pay for a certification that's in exchange for you know, a huge order and kind of 
teeny well, tiny. And those but... same problems actually exist in yeah. China too, because oh, not yeah. every time, not every factory in China is certified, mm-hmm. um, nor are they willing to be certified. Sometimes they want to stay in the smaller boat of things, but the factories that uh, are certified and grow with a brand they realize, or they became certified while growing with a brand, they realize the power in that because now they can play with the big boys. So it's sometimes yeah. just about the mindset of the factory owner and, um, you know, and the, the business as a whole of how much they're willing to do. So it's, it's interesting that those same things happen in Vietnam as happen yeah. in China, you know, anywhere you start. It drives me crazy when they don't want to do it. Like we were literally driving over a million dollar order for you. And it's like certification that, I mean, it takes months and like, we, but we estimated it was like $50,000 and trying to miss the client to pay for it, but they weren't willing. And think with the certification, they have to certify the whole factory, not a single production line. And so it was just one production line make light switches for you all. This is a, just stamped metal plate with a wooden frame. And they could do everything we needed. They got the, all the woods we wanted because all the stamped metal, they could do the galvanization. Everything was in place, but they just weren't willing to commit. I was like, why? You're perfect Why? For what would that client. mean for your factory? Like that, I know. that would be. But they don't. Easy. I mean, they ship other items to America, but this was like specifically electric. I was just like, why are you not doing it? Just do it. <laughs> it would be. This will be the first of many clients for you. Like, definitely. It just couldn't happen. It drove me crazy. And so your next question on here: Are you willing to commit long term? Tell us yeah. about that. Oh, I mean, just if you do any project. I mean, unless you're going to just order one order, which most people don't do, you're going to be committing to a year plus, several years, hopefully, assuming your product's successful. And so you really need to think like five years, three, like two, five years down the line, where Vietnam is going to be and where China is going to be, and kind of really figure out which one you want to work with long term. Like if you're doing all your business in China, you're going to have to like all of a sudden expand and do, when you do your trips to China, like you will have to fly to China and then another trip to Vietnam. And so you kind of really need to think, is that something you want to do long-term? I think you should, because Vietnam's great, but it's, yeah. I mean, just anywhere, you just kind of want to figure out, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, Jim. So another question that popped into my head while while I was watching this is, um, you know, certain countries uh, seem to like specialize or, you know, have uh, better quality, better selection. You know, there's just some like big benefit usually to, specific countries you know like uh pakistan and india really big with um textiles and you know things like Mm -hmm. that so um is what's vietnam known for in terms of like some of the best products you can source there in the beginning you said outdoor stuff so i assume they must have some decent outdoor stuff we're actually doing outdoor stuff in china in that case but all right um with vietnam they do a lot of apparel a lot of clothing they do a lot of furniture specifically wooden furniture Mm -hmm. ikea for instance when their main um factories is there wayfair uh, West Elm, all those furniture factories all do from Vietnam. And we're, okay. we're the same factories that they use a lot of times. Okay. Um, we do athletic wear. We do metal parts. Um, trying to think of recent projects. We do a lot of cut and sew projects. Uh, luggage. Okay. And, so, so it sounds like, yeah. so sim- similar like India, Pakistan in terms of a lot, yeah. a lot of textiles and, and uh, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Are they getting the raw materials locally or are they bringing those in from China generally? Is that part of the delays are getting a lot of raw material from China? It's a mix. Um, okay. It depends on the products. Like we were talking about polyurethane. We were actually getting that from China, um, the fake leather. But you can get cotton and a lot of other technical fabrics from Vietnam, a lot of polyesters from Vietnam. So okay, cool. nylon, Interesting. we get our nylon locally. Awesome, thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and like with wooden goods, all the wood comes from Vietnam. There's tons of plantations, all really hardy tropical hardwood. That's one of the big things that Vietnam does is it's a super dense hardwood, so it's very, very high quality. So it's actually really nice. Very cool. um, so pros for Vietnam, like China's getting hit with tariffs. Well, in the meantime, Vietnam is negotiating free trade agreements with pretty much anyone that wants one. Um, they have free trade with Japan, uh, Japan, India, Australia, South Korea, Taiwan. They're negotiating one of the European Union. They're part of ASEAN, so any South East Asian country. We have a bilateral trade agreement with Vietnam that's short of free trade, but it does give it preferential trade treatment. Although you still have to pay some spike tariffs. A uh, young skilled labor force um, actually has a high amount of engineers, and so you can actually get more technical workers um, for cheap. So if you have more complex manufacturing process in terms of the actual handmade aspects, it's pretty good. Generally cheaper. This one, unfortunately, is becoming less true as time goes on. Uh, I think right now prices from Vietnam just in 2019 have been increased by about 15%-ish, um, just cause increased demand. So this one's coming less true, but it is still cheaper than China at the moment. And less bureaucracy. It's so much easier to do business in Vietnam, especially for larger companies. Like for instance, Nike can pretty much take ownership of their factories. A lot of bigger companies, bigger American companies, for instance, can actually own their own manufacturing in Vietnam relatively easy. Can't own land, but you can lease land for like 99 years. Um, with Japan and South Korea, they have very preferential free trade agreements, so they can straight up own manufacturing there. So we actually do work with some factories that are owned by Japan and South Korean companies. So it's a lot easier for foreign companies set up and kind of for even local smaller companies in Vietnam to expand. Uh, cons for Vietnam, infrastructure, easily the biggest one. It's not even close to China. Um, blackouts happen occasionally. Uh, the roads are much small and congested. Um, there's not like a large railway network that can transport large amounts of goods. The ports are constantly congested. It's something that if Vietnam needs to do one thing to improve, that's the number one thing. Uh, not a one-stop shop. With China, you can go there, get anything. I've never really had issues finding products in China. Vietnam, you kind of got to pick what they can and can't do and pick something from there. Uh, the access to raw materials. Like we kind of talked about this already, but we do import a lot of things from China, a lot of components from China. Just in terms of avoiding tariffs, by the way, you want to um, less than 30% of your product can come from China. So if you're trying to avoid tariffs, you need to kind of be mindful of that. Um, scalability, the factories there are kind of set up to handle one size of orders. So like the factories that handle Nike and other large clients are more or less set up to handle large orders. There's some small shops that can do handmade goods. So we work with like the custom uh, made to measure suits and custom leather shoes. Those shops can handle like small orders like at the time, but if they, this client ever wants to scale up from uh, I think he's doing 150 suits a month to like a few thousand, he's probably gonna have to find a new supplier. So you kind of really got to figure out the scale that each one can work at and kind of move from there. Because we work with China, we work with factories that can you know, order 500 to a million. But this hasn't, we haven't had much luck and with finding a supplier that can handle every size. Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.